National Center of Faith, Science, and History with the ancestor of black religious thought. We are honored, we are privileged to have Dr. Charles H. Long with us. We are just so happy that he is, has agreed to be the thought leader for our work moving forward. Dr. Long, you shared so much with us at our opening seminar this morning uh, on African Americans and science, and you charged us to have courage. You charged us to be brave as we think about integrating these two spheres, these two modalities of thought, science and, and, and religion, by persons engaging in what you call the experience of science. I'd just love for you to uh, uh, take a little bit more time and unpack that, tease out those themes, those elements of what an experience would look like for science as we have an experience for religion or of religion. Well, there's something to be said for the kind of uh, uh, abstract conceptual structure of the sciences. After all, we don't experience the, wor the world turning round and round, but as far as science is concerned, it does. Exactly. Um, and we rely upon the, that kind of knowledge because if we didn't, uh, there are various things we couldn't do or wouldn't do or shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. right? But on the other hand, that does not mean that all of our experience is amenable or desirable to be uh, abstracted. Mm -hmm. I think in the modern world, so much of what we think we experience, we don't experience. That's so true. Uh, for example, one cannot experience a concept. A concept is an abstraction. A taxonomy is an abstraction. You don't experience them, you talk about them. Now, that did not come by accidentally. Uh, the modern world, if we speak of the modern world as related to science, as having its real infusion in the uh, Western Enlightenment, what we see there is uh, uh, well, the personages such as uh, Immanuel Kant, uh, Leibniz. Uh, but let me go back a little earlier than that uh, to Descartes. Yes, yes. As I said this morning in the lecture, quoting this one sentence from Aristotle, I didn't go into it, but I just wanted to name around it. Um, all men desire to know, all right? And I use that word desire because that's the word he used. Mm -hmm. He didn't say all men want to know. Right. He didn't say all men would like to know. Mm -hmm. He said all men desire to know. Now, this is a smart man, and he knows Greek because he's Greek. Mm -hmm. yeah, plus, he's a philosopher, mm -hmm. and he knows how to parse words. Mm -hmm. uh, what he was saying is that knowledge is a sensual experience, that you can't get knowledge unless you have it through your body. Yeah. But then, on the other hand, you have to mistrust body knowledge. Because body knowledge will fool you. 
but that's the only way you can get it. So we have to find some way by which bodily knowledge, which is always subjective, because it's always your body, uh, you know, you can't experience it with another body, you have to experience it with your body. And so we have to figure out, okay, that's experience, but is it knowledge? See, knowledge has the quality of being capable of being the same for more than just you, more than subjective. Can that experience be one that can be conveyed or talked about in a way that another person who did not experience it the way I did but could understand what I was talking about. Mm. Now, for the most part, uh, there were ways by which that was adjudicated in the Western world. Uh, uh, through, mainly through the uh, theological and philosophical meanings of Christianity as expressed through the Roman church. Um, it's not, it's not a uh, accident, it's not an accident that uh, Thomas Aquinas was reading Aristotle all the time. Of course, he was reading Aristotle because he got it from the Arabs. Exactly. Arizali, Arroes, yes. you know, whatever. Uh, of course, nobody nobody tell you about all that very much. Uh, because they were the ones who had a similar problem. Their problem was the prophet God bless his name. The prophet is not a divine being such as Jesus. The prophet is an ordinary human being and no more and no less. But the prophet bore the revelation or bore the words of the Quran. Yes. And so the question is, how is it that through this body, the sensuality of his body, that he was able to speak Allah without his body being touched and being becoming divine like Allah? See, for the Christians, Jesus speaks God's word, but that's because Jesus also is himself divine. He, he's a kin of God. He's a son of God. The, the, the Muslims do not make that claim for the prophet. They're just, a, he's just a man like me. And so Muhammad would go into <coughs> what we might call a trance or something, and these words would come out. And so they got to find a way by which the sensual, that which comes from the sensual, 
also becomes objectified such that it's the word of Allah for humankind. In other words, it's no longer limited to the prophet and his friends in Babylon or to the Arab people. It's to the world. It's to every city and being in the world. That's right. So we got to worry about how you move from that sensuality to the objectivity of what is the truth. Now, in the case of the of the West, they thought they had it tied up through the mediationship of the church, uh, whereby in various ways, through confession uh, and rituals and their understanding of uh, the life to come, they could adjudicate the meaning of knowledge as sensual on the one hand and as objective on the other. And that meant that they had to undertake uh, a critique of all, all, any of those forms of knowledge that did not accept this total system of their ritualistic mode of the way human beings would order their lives. And this is where you had all the fusses with Galileo, Galilee, and so on. Uh, because it, 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 it wasn't so much they didn't like his conclusions. They didn't. But that wasn't the big fight. The fight was they didn't like his method. You see? He, he was he was getting knowledge and claiming knowledge out of a method that circumvented everything they had. See? And you let somebody start going wrong like that, it was bad. Now, even if he had come up agreeing with them about everything, but if he had used a different method, he still would have been condemned. See? See, the methodology is everything. Not the conclusion, the methodology. Now, the Enlightenment, you could almost say, wanted to repair that problem. They wanted to, you know, uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, Kant's had a motto in Latin, Sacre Aude. In Latin, as you know, uh, the ending 
things. A lot of the 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 pronomic words. A lot of the pronouns are in the endings of the words. They you don't know, have a separate ego or whatever. So cogito is I think. Because the O is, you know, first case, no, first case, uh, um, not ablative, but uh, nominative. Uh, so I think, all right. Now, when you get to sum, sum is the word of being. You say, you know, if we spoke that way, you say, I bees, I am, all right? I am. Now, being. Amming, you cannot am. It's just stating the, stating the fact, stating the situation. All right. So on the one hand, you have the activity, the activity. I think that's an action. But the action doesn't do anything. I think. Well, yeah. Later on, you're going to get uh, American pragmatists who would say, to be conscious is always to be conscious of something. You just can't be, I'm here conscious, you know. You're conscious of something. Otherwise, you're not conscious, you see. But anyway, he, he just had it that way. But then he comes in with that ergo. Now we got, see the ergo. The ergo, if you just read it and don't be so heavy, don't be so sophisticated about it, it's like kazam, and the rabbit comes out of the hat. Because there's nothing in ergo that makes I am possible. Ain't nothing. Because we don't know what happens in ergo. Therefore. What happens with the therefore? Therefore. It's like something calls something. Like thinking calls whatever. Now, what happened happened before that. Everything that what Descartes did, this is his meditations. What he got, he said, I shut myself up in a stove. And I eliminated from my consciousness every product of sensual experience. Color, length. With sight, well, you know, there's nothing there except that I'm conscious of thinking. Now, the consciousness of thinking, he says, that boy or gold enables me to establish myself. In other words, I can establish the being of who I am without any stuff. I can establish my subjectivity without a body, without sensual experience, without a world. That's heavy stuff. Now, that's a peculiar place to put the ego. 
like since I'm a student of history religion, I always think about the Buddha in that, but I'm not going into that because we're trying to stay with the West right now. Khan. Uh, Khan has an essay, a little treatise called How to Orient Yourself in Thought. Everybody wants to orient themselves. Everybody want to know where they are. So how you figure that out? And of course, he, he knows you don't have knowledge without the body, you know. He said, well, heck, you, you, know, you go on a sunny day and you look up, and you go, oh, that's the sun. That's up. You look down and you're on the down. And then you from the west mm. because there's no signs out there <laughs> and your arms look the same both sides of your body look the same it's not that your, your, your east arm is always going to be longer than your west arm and well, hey, uh, uh. then Khan has admitted he admits it but he admits it real fast He's, begin to talk fast. <laughs> he says, I feel, I feel, I feel the difference. I feel ah, the ah. Dr. Long, mm. we hate to stop here, but we have to stop here. Okay. Because you have actually led us into what we need to be talking about. Right. The experience of science. Yes. At some point, we have to admit we feel. Thank you for listening. We look forward to our next podcast. But right now, we're so grateful to the master, to the mind, to the message of Dr. Charles Houston Long. God bless you, sir. Thank you for being here.